Hello, welcome to Free Will Science and Religion. I'm Chandler Klebs and I'm here with George Ortega. And today our topic is going to be about how transcending the illusion of free will has enabled us to move on to other topics that have not even been explored by the majority of people. Because I mentioned something about that briefly near the end of our last episode. And so I wanted to expand on what I meant. Because as soon as you get, you understand that our wills are causal and you understand that everything that we do is caused by prior things, well then naturally that leads into the question of, well, everything has a cause. So what, what, you know, and so then that gets into the whole causal regress, like, because some people say, like me, say that there's infinite causes going backward, you know, that there's no actual beginning. Other people say, well, there has to be a first cause. And then, of course, there's always the whole rebuttal, well, what caused that, you know? <laughs> so that's one of the things, you know, this infinite regress, because most people I talk to have never heard of that. My mother hadn't, nobody, nobody else I talked to. Um, like ever even heard of that but then it gets into other things it gets into you know other things about the origins of things about you know evolution and did life have a beginning or did consciousness have a beginning or all the, are those things eternal and so what i think happens is that it opens up a whole new can of worms of all these other questions that are interesting question is to explore and what but the best part of this George is that once when people are no longer blaming each other for their their different beliefs about these things then they actually have more productive discussion unlike um, what so too often happened you know in creation versus evolution debates or the the existence of God debates because those are full of hostility and anger and mockery and all that sort of stuff. And it's not a friendly environment, but we've been able to just have a fun time talking about some of these things. Absolutely, Chandler. So I, I think, you know, it's not just exploring the the topic of free will. Part of it is getting the right answer. In other words, to the extent that we understand that we don't have a free will, then it leads to like you were like you started out and let's let's explore this in a bit more detail basically like if we don't have a free will because of causality and this causal chain seems to stretch back eternally in time so that you know that brings us to a part of reality a very important fundamental part of the reality that tells us there's an aspect of reality at least one several perhaps that transcend logic in other words when we're trying to think of like, well, just, you know, the causal chain behind every one of our decisions regressing back eternally into the past, we're not completely comfortable with that. Because part of us is saying, well, well, it must have started at some point. There must be a beginning. But then when we posit there was a first cause, we're not completely comfortable with that because then we say to ourselves, well, wait a minute. What created? What caused that? How could there be a first cause? Some, you know, so again, so like, so the first thing we um, we arrive at is that you know not all of of you know reality is in accordance to um, 
to reason or logic. Now, I just wanted to make this caveat for, for people who claim, who, who, who might think that, well, that fact can, uh, can give an entryway into free will. No. In other words, while, while not everything you know, is within the realm of logic, you know, this free will question is completely within the realm of logic. So in other words, like, there's not an illogical way why, that we can have a free will. But um, if you want, let's explore some of the other um, kinds of like really, really interesting and I think very, very fundamental questions that arise as we come to understand that, that we humans don't have a free will. Yeah, um, like one of those things is consciousness because we've talked a lot about what it means to be conscious and about awareness and all that. One of the things that I see that's very bizarre is all these people um, asking, well, when did consciousness evolve? You know, and asking like, well, when did consciousness begin? When did life begin? And there's, for me, I've always found this this problem um, where that seems to fall into an infinite regress as well. You know, um, living things always reproduce and make more living things. I've so that's one of those things that's a little bit interesting to me because I guess I'm trying to form a whole coherent worldview where everything makes perfect sense. Now, whether or not what I'm thinking is actually true or not, um, I don't. I don't know. It's not. It's not up to me anyway. But but I want it very much to make sense and all fit together. And so when something doesn't fit together, well, then I think, well, maybe one of these things is wrong. Chandler, that's an, another excellent kind of like question that arises from our understanding. We don't free will. You know, what is the nature of consciousness? And incidentally, in philosophy, that's sometimes it's it's like considered within the framework of the hard problem. In other words, like we have this material existence, but consciousness seems to be immaterial. I'm not sure I consider that a problem because like, for example, you know, it seems like the air is like, you know, there's nothing there. It's a void, right? Now we know our atmosphere, the air in front of us and all around us is filled with, with um, you know, um, oxygen molecules and other kinds of molecules and all. So, so basically, you know, I think that we may not have been able to, um, to discover a physical material component of consciousness, but I wouldn't be surprised that it exists. Um, so like, but, but there are other questions that arise directly as a result of understanding that we don't have a free will. For example, um, right now we're talking about free will and we're, we're conscious of, of what we're saying, what we ch each other is saying, but we have to acknowledge that because of we, have, we don't have a free will, this consciousness is not really ours. This, these thoughts are coming to us. You know, the consciousness, the, whatever is, is controlling us is making us conscious of this. And we can refer to it as, as like our unconscious mind, but then that wouldn't completely um, solve it because then we have to say, well, what's causing our unconscious mind to be uh, conscious? And like you were saying, it's, it's subject, consciousness is subject to the same causal regression. So you're, you're right. It just, so then the basic question becomes, well, if we're, you know, if our consciousness isn't really ours because we're compelled to be conscious of whatever our unconscious in the universe, you know, compels us, then does that 
suggest or imply that the universe or aspects of the universe that we don't ordinarily attribute consciousness to are in fact conscious? That's a very interesting question, George, because like you said, it's not our consciousness, you know. Um, it's it's a weird thing um, because the, I'm looking at it and everything seems all part of one unified whole, you know. We're all part of the one universe. Um, and I don't, I like, I don't know how far to go with, um, with as far as consciousness of the universe. But then again, um, either way, that would still seem like, well, what, what, you know, what, like, let's just say that there was a conscious universe, like, what would that mean? And what would this universe be conscious of? And would it have desires or, or would it have any ability to act according to those desires? Yeah, and like with, with the issue of consciousness also comes the issue of intelligence. For example, like, and it may just like require us to redefine consciousness and intelligence in, in broader ways. For example, with intelligence, I think, you know, many centuries ago or a long time ago, I think many people, even scientists, would conclude that human beings are intelligent, but other animals aren't. You know? Uh, <laughs> you know how I feel about that one. <laughs> exactly. So like, you know, now we have our modern science that demonstrates that actually, you know, like, for example, you know, a dog or a pig may actually be more intelligent than, a, you know, um, a six-month-old infant, whatever. So, you know, so, so we have very clear, strong evidence that other animals are intelligent. So apply this now to consciousness. We, we believe that consciousness is limited to human beings and it's because we have a brain and all that said it requires this physio physiology and stuff and it may be it seems it may be that we have to extend our understanding or definition of consciousness to include other um other processes and all um there was i just learned about something that chandler you might have heard of before that relates to this Basically, if I can get this right, and I want to look into this more, they would show um, a photograph with, let's say, you know, let's say 50 faces on it, right? Um, to, to, let's say, um, some people, let's say in England, okay? And, you know, and let, let's say it took, I think, I, I hope I'm getting this right. Let's say it took the group maybe about five minutes to... Um, to, to see all the faces, right, the first time. Then they show it to another group, you know, and all of a sudden it took the this second group that had no connection or communication with the first group, let's say four and a half minutes to see all the faces. Then like they take it to another continent where nobody's aware of the experiment and these people are seeing the faces in, in, in four minutes. So in other words, there's, there's a strange kind of like, and again, I got to look, look into this because this is empirical. This isn't like hypothetical or theoretical. So there, there's some kind of, you know, paranormal communication, you know, conscious communication going on between people. And I guess we might be able to label it unconscious. It may have to do with Jung's collective unconscious that he theorized. But, but again, so like, you know, just as with intelligence, you know, this free will thing, because our intelligence is not ours, 
who or what do we attribute it to? Because our consciousness is not ours, who or what do we attribute it to? It's a, it's a, it's a powerful question that, you know, again, the theme of this is like this, this issue of free will invites such fundamental questions about the very nature of reality. Yeah, it really does, because, I mean, that's not exactly a question that I would have ever asked ordinarily, because then my thing is, well, whatever you attribute um, your intelligence or your consciousness to, well, whatever that is that you attribute that to has to attribute it to the prior cause of it. So, <laughs> once again, you just can't, like, I can't break out of that cycle of thinking about the infinite regress that there's no no nothing that's anything's actually attributable to as a first cause exactly chandler it goes beyond so right now we've been like exploring kind of like physics you know but now let's explore religion you know one of the conclusions we must logically come up with that 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 um that is an implication of our not having a free will is that well if you know if that we if the good we do isn't up to us and the evil we do isn't up to us let's say let's say we're talking theologically it must be up to god and and this is very kind of like ironically it's it's this kind of like implication and conclusion that prevents many people from accepting that they don't have a free will in other words they may get the logic of why they don't have a free will, but then they think about the implication. They, they consider to, myself, to themselves, oh my God, you know, if, 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 if we don't have a free will, that logically means that the evil in this world must be up to God, and that's where they, all of a sudden, they say, well, I can't accept that, so that means I have to continue believing in free will, because like, you know, because the thought of a God that does both good and evil is just you know, philosophically unacceptable to them. So that's a very powerful, again, theological, you know, you, we got to remember like 80, 90% of people here in the United States are spiritual, believe in a higher power. So that's what they're thinking. That's what's going through their mind. And again, this, this free will issue invites such powerful questioning of the fundamental nature, not just of physical material reality, but of our theological beliefs also. Yeah, um, and here's what's interesting about it is I think for a lot of people, this idea of a god causing evil, for them, the reason that's hard for them to accept is that because, quite simply, they can't do anything about it. So I guess there's a, there's a hopelessness that comes with that, um, which is why people have a general need to believe that God is still good, and so they have to find an alternate source of the evil. And I really don't think that they've ever succeeded with that, because even though they've tried to use free will as a, as a defense for the problem of evil, there's, I mean, considering that there's so much suffering um, that we that we don't cause that happens to us, you know. Um, so yeah, I so even of course we understand free will is just a total lie anyway, but it doesn't answer the problem of evil. And so I feel like um, 
that that ancient problem of evil that has plagued um, monotheistic religions will still continue for quite some time. In fact, um, I was reading um, some of the beginning of that Soul of the Marionette by that John Gray dude, um, and he was talking about the problem of evil. And in fact, that seems to come up in every book uh, related to the free will topic ever, this whole problem of evil thing. Because that's what you know people are saying is that this free will myth literally was invented to defend God's omnibenevolence. Well, yeah, I mean, like in 380 A.D., um, Augustine coined the term free will, you know, to explain the evil in the world. He couldn't blame God, so he had to blame us. And I think there was another Greek guy, Origen, that goes back a bit further that had maybe a similar kind of, um, of answer. But here's what's interesting, Chandler, is that um, basically I think God is responsible for evil whether or not we would have a free will. And, you know, again, like the free will concept is completely in incoherent. There's no, there's absolutely no way we could have free will. But imagine, just like consider, let's say, let's say we were scientists, okay? And we were able to actually create a robot. And again, this is impossible. It, it, it would forever be impossible. <laughs> But let's say we were able to endow this robot with free will. Okay, now, so we've, we've, we've created a robot, we've endowed it for free, with free will, and all of a sudden the robot leaves our lab and goes out and starts destroying cities, right? Now here's the thing. So we're in court, we're in the court of public opinion, you know, basically, who do you think these people are going to blame for all this, you know, carnage. They're going to, you think they're going to blame the, the robot for free will or we as the scientists who created this robot? So again, even, even like if you were to posit that God did give us a free will, just the fact that God, you know, made us capable of doing evil with this free will makes God responsible, fundamentally and ultimately responsible for not just the good that we do, but also the evil. That's a very difficult, um, you know, kind of like realization for many people to accept. Yes, I remember the episode where you were explaining that example of the scientist making the robot, is that people would still, in that situation, although they would blame the, the, blame the scientist for making the robot that went crazy. Because they were still the prior cause of that robot, even if the robot did have a free will, which is impossible, that that science is still the cause of whatever did happen. So I see your point there, George, is that even if humans did have a free will, which is impossible, we know, that does not solve the problem of evil, because then you still have this question, well... Why, like, you know, of course, I mean, so many questions like, I mean, does God exist? What, you know, um, why would God create um, creatures that could that could choose to do evil things? You know, and it seems you get into all sorts of other questions, especially, I mean, and part of the reason it gets complicated is the way it's often framed as, well, God knew what they would choose so then it gets into the whole omniscience thing so it's kind of a weird thing because i yeah i'm really having a hard time 
even going there, you know, of course, it's just a thought experiment anyway. Um, you know, but yeah, the whole free will defense never did answer what I think we wanted it to answer. And I think what we really are after is not so much why is there evil, but how do we stop the evil? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I think maybe, you know, I mean, it could be that why there is evil may be part of the answer of stopping it. Who knows? But, you know, I have to empathize with a lot of Christians and Jews and, and, and Muslims and all, because like, you know, as we've talked about before, I consider myself a pantheist, meaning that I personify the universe. To me, God and the universe are synonymous simply because I'm a person. In other words, if I'm a person, I want to see what's controlling me as personified rather than as a thing. I'd rather see the universe as personified rather than a thing. You know, a thing in my mind in my mind doesn't have the dignity or whatever. So like so you know, given that perspective, there's a couple of ways that I've kind of like considered that aren't completely satisfactory, but kind of like, you know, maybe, you know, can absolve even God of, of this evil. But, uh, you know, for example, the first one is like, you know, if, if everything has a cause, then the cause to our evil, let's say we define it as God, right? But the problem with that is like this infinite, this causal chain of events um, regressing behind any evil act we might do goes back in time eternally. And so fine, it may be God before us like, you know, was responsible for this chain of causality, but because this causal chain never stops, we can never arrive at a point in the past where we conclude, well, this is the point at which God decided to, to, to then, like in a billion years or you know, 15 billion years, make us do evil or a trillion years or whatever. We can never reach that point. Now, the reason that's not completely satisfactory to me is that, one, the universe or God is still making us do the evil. You know, that doesn't, you know, that's, you know, we don't know how. Again, it doesn't make sense. And the second part is, like, if we use this infinite regress, this eternal regress to, um, to absolve God of evil, then we're faced acknowledging that that same reasoning actually leads us to conclude that we can't hold God as good either. You know, if we can't reach a point in the past where God, you know, has created, you know, made a decision to do good, you know, again, we can't. And the, the other, just very briefly, the other um, way of, of absolving God that, again, in my mind, isn't completely satisfactory is that God may be all-powerful and all-knowing, but God can't be perfect. God is, 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 must be fallible, and evil and pain must be a mistake. Again, the reason it's not completely satisfactory is because like, you would think that an, an omniscient or all-knowing God would know enough not to make mistakes. But again, these two ways are the best I can come up with um, uh, in terms of absolving God of evil, but otherwise, yeah, we have to accept it. For example, we accept that our life is like, 
you know, 80 year, 100 years long, and we've got billions of years in the past and ahead of us. We have to accept this. <laughs> it's kind of scary, but like, so there's some aspects of reality that we may, may not be completely pleased with, but we simply have to accept. And as scientists, you know, I think some of us like you and I are, are more capable of accepting this than others of us. Yeah, and you know what's interesting is for me it's a little bit different. Um, I think one of the differences between you and me is that, like, I don't personify the universe. I mean, I'm totally fine with it being a thing. <laughs> I don't know what that is. But I guess um, I tend to think – I guess I'm not a – I'm not a – I don't think of of, you know – people persons exactly i think you know of of numbers you know and colors and shapes you know um i i tend to think of oh well here's a hexagon here's a square and here here's three there's three of this and there's seven of this and this is red this is blue and everything has been about in my life describing um objects you know just things and not even necessarily conscious living things, although I tend to like living things. I'm, you know, I think life is amazing, um, and it would be even better if it wasn't so evil. <laughs> um, but I think that the primary reason that there is evil is because of this belief in free will. I really do. Because, so, I mean, it's really hard to find some form of of evil some sort of war that does not result from somebody blaming somebody else you know I'm, yeah well chandler let me address that because like this is a point that nick my uh, co-host of our manhattan show repeatedly brings up and i think he's got a point in other words like you know i think we may have to acknowledge that free will belief isn't the the only or even predominant it may be the predominant cause of, of evil but um one other major cause is, for example, we live in a world of limited or finite resources. Let's say you have two, two peoples around like a, um, a body of water and they both need the water and the water's running out. You know, you may have people competing, fighting each other for this limited resource. And, and it's completely, you know, um, it's completely apart from the the um, the attribution condition. In other words, like it's not that they blame e each other for anything. They're just competing. You know, let's say let let's say if they don't, you know, it's kind of like survival of the fittest. Let's say one of those um, peoples are going to like thrive and survive and live, and the others may not. Right. So like so basically, it's a matter. So sometimes we you know we compete in 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 ways and all, but. I think the point that you're making, I think, is that it's very valid, is that, like, to the extent that we add the, the free will component to this, at times, necessary competition, and again, we want to try to minimize that as much as possible, you know, this abandoning the free will belief helps us to minimize that competition. It helps us to kind of, like, even, like, when we have to compete with for whatever, let's say we want to, like, compete to get into a... a uh, a school that there's only certain slots, right? So, like, naturally, we're going to compete to do the best to get into the school and all. 
but we're not going to like, hopefully, because we don't attribute free will to ourselves or others, we're not going to blame ourselves if we fail. We're not going to like feel really bad about the other people of, of competing and stuff. So yeah, the, the free will kind of like, you know, abandoning free will belief allows us to negotiate the competition that's unfortunately a, a, a part of a reality that we can escape to a great extent, but not completely. We can navigate that much more civilly and to the benefit of everyone. Yeah, well, I get what you're saying because definitely a reduction in this whole free will-induced blame will you know, reduce a lot of what goes on. But there still is, um, even beyond that, there's still the competition over limited resources and survival which is something, uh, you know, not just humans experience, but all animals have that struggle. They all have to fight over food and, and water. And that's why when there's not enough resources and they starve, well, then they start, they start eating other animals, including even their own species, because they, at the end, they're trying to avoid their, their own pain of hunger and that sort of thing. So that's, that perhaps um, could explain um, forms of evil that would still exist even without the belief in free will, which I think is something definitely that we'll want to explore more in future episodes because many people propose various solutions on how that can, how this whole problem of finite resources and people competing over them, how that could be eliminated. And it gets into the whole climate change, too, issue. <laughs> oh, yeah. We got to address climate change repeatedly, uh, Chandler, because basically a lot of people think, big deal, we don't have a free will, who cares? You know, we got to present evidence. No, it's, it's, it's a very consequential part of not just our personal lives, but of major, major issues. I guess we're running out of time, right? Yeah, we're running out of time, so I'll end this one, but this has been good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you've been listening to Free Will, Science, and Religion with Chandler Klebs and George Ortega, and we've talked about so much about the problem of evil and whatever else we talked about. Well, anyway, um, we'll see you next time.